it's the idea that the um, the belief in the inherent worth in every human being, um, and then some people go on to say every living creature, um, and uh, but originally from from what Felix Adler was saying, though he did basically just mean men at the time, the inherent worth in, in every human being okay. is the kind of belief that bonds us together as a religion. Hello and welcome to Drinks With God, a podcast about alternative theological experiences, death, and life. All of the following content is based on each interviewee's own personal experiences and is meant to be educational, not confrontational. start then um so welcome again to drinks with god and i'm here today with alicia best international wandering singer and uh also an um is it ethnic humanist ethical Eth- ethnic hum- oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's a good thing to be too <laughs> ethical humanist yes. um who has had her fair share of dealing with various eth- ethnicities and ethnologies and trying theologies to say and theologies. I'm trying to save the f- that fumble there, but it's not making sense. So let's just move. <laughs> al- let's just move along here. We're uh, we're having hot toddies. Yes, it's just a cold day, so hot toddies are the di- thing to go. So why don't you just um, first let's start off by letting us know a quick survey of where you've been and why you've been there. Cool. In the last um, year, I've been in Central America, Mexico, the States, and um, Ireland, England, and Spain. Um, And I've been sometimes booking myself gigs, taking the effort to write like 10 emails and get maybe two responses if I'm lucky, and put together shows. Um, And then when I'm not doing that, like the last two months, I've just been busking. in the streets, in different places, and I've busked in many different countries and gotten a lot out of it. Very cool. So I know that obviously doing that, uh, you know, that sort of a, a tour, as it were. Yeah. Um, you come up with a lot of really fantastic uh, just experiences with people. Um, we we were talking a bit um, the other day just about how you spent some time, some really great um, time down over in a. Guatemala. Yeah, in Guatemala, but and also in um, other parts of South America, just going from hostel to hostel, essentially. Yeah. Um, so it is confusing. I've not actually been to South America. Technically, I've only been to Central America okay. and Mexico. But then it gets confusing because is Central America it doesn't even count as a. It's like part of North America. Yeah, there's kind of like a blur. If, yeah. Yeah. It thinks its own thing. It's its own thing. I think it's its own thing. But as far as the continents are counted, it tends to be glommed onto North America. Yeah, it's kind of a gray area. But culture-wise, it certainly is not. Right. And the farthest, so the farthest south I've been is Nicaragua. Okay. And then, um, 
most of the time that I've spent down there in Central America and Mexico has been Mexico and Guatemala. Okay. Yeah. And um, just uh, before we go back to that, let's just touch a little bit on your um, on your background with humanism. So your father, how long had he been um, involved? Just the past couple of years? So actually, I'm a very rare case of being a third generation ethical culturist. Oh, okay. My grandparents, my grandparents found um, ethical culture in St. Louis, Missouri, when they were in their their, um, 20s or 30s, maybe. Um, And they found it together. And um, they, there was um, a very big congregation there. There still is. Um, and when my dad did his training to become a leader, we moved to St. Louis for him to do his internship for a year. So it's been in whatever way, like ingrained in me, the values and the ideas of ethical culture and ethical humanism. Um, so in that way, I haven't like strayed from my family's beliefs or, like, that sort of thing. But it is... Uh, within the Ethical Culture Society, you'll find a lot of inquisitive thinkers and um, people questioning. that. One thing that it really impresses me about ethical culture, actually, is that how much it has progressed in its origi- from its original kind of framework and thought because when it was originally put out there by Felix Adler, it wasn't meaning women. It really was meaning... Strictly as like a, ma- like a men. Club kind of a thing. I mean, it was just like humanism wasn't including women, really. Well, like uh, the women's place was still the home and et cetera. And well, so... What year was that? This was 1887. Okay. 78, sorry. 1878, I believe, is when it was officially so, founded. So as progressive as that was, it was still uh, specific... To its era. Yeah, I mean, to a degree. And... Um, But unlike clinging to the original scripture of our religion, we have looked it over and been like, oh, hey, actually, times have changed, and turns out women are people too, so (laughs) here we go. And and the same thing about the LBGTQ society, etc. Like, um, in St. Louis was the first time I went to a, a PFLAG meeting, and that was hosted at the Ethical Culture Society, and, like, things like that, um... That is that has also been something that it's come along from its original, you know. Felix Adler was a radical, but he was also an old curmudgeon stuck in his ways. Now, um, just as I am assuming that this is going to be many people's first experience, even hearing about the Ethical Culture Society, if you could just give us um, a bit of a, you know, a one on one. Cool. I'll give my little rundown. Um, so Felix Adler was sent to Europe to study to be a um, rabbi. And through his studies as a young man, he was starting to question um, Judaism. And through that, when he came back, he did start, he thought he was going to maybe just make his father's congregation or some part of the, you know, Jewish community in New York, a more liberal and kind of different um, thing, and basically he did his first talk back at, or sermon, or whatever you would call it, back at um, his father's uh, temple when he came back, and um, 
it didn't go over well for some portion of the community, and then for the other por- another portion of the community, it went smashingly, and the people who were against it were like, get out! And the people who were for it were like, we're coming with you! Um, basically. And so then that's when he built the original society in Manhattan, which is right across the park from his dad's synagogue, and it's like twice as tall. Oh dear. And it's a big brick building. <laughs> very fancy. Um, it's an interesting space. It has like wooden carvings. It looks more traditionally religious than like any of the societies that have come since then. Um, Like if you just walked in there without reading the outside of it or like looking at any sort of plaque closely, you'd be like, who are these saints? Because they're like wooden white men with beards carved and like standing in robes. Yeah. So. Um, But it's this idea. It's a, it's not really an atheist religion. Um, it is a religion, but it doesn't exclude people who might believe in one god or another. The idea is that it's not dealing with really that. Like, whether or not your god or my god or no god, and I have no god, um, exists, doesn't really matter within the context of that religion. It's like what that we're in a room together and that I'm accountable for my actions and that I'm going to try to bring out the best in you and the best in myself. And um, one of their saying, the like little nuggets they they have on bumper stickers sometimes, or like different things that the children in Sunday school read is deed before creed. So, okay, like cool. what you do, like your acts of service before what your belief is, or what the person you're helping is, or the person who's helping you. Um, and uh, I do. I was just thinking of so. Robert and I were traveling together and playing music together, and we went down from St. Louis. We worked our way down to uh, New Orleans, Mm -hmm. and we were in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, and we needed coffee um, for either of us to drive. We needed coffee. And so we stopped at a gas station that didn't have coffee, and it was right outside of this tiny town, so we went into the tiny town thinking, Somewhere, there's got to be a diner, there's got to be something. Coffee must be somewhere. So we go into this town, it's one of those old southern towns that has like, though there actually are some in Vermont like this too, and and New England, but like the classic like roundabout around the courthouse kind of town. So we go into one of these towns, and half the places seem to be open, and there's like a general store and some other stuff, and then... I'm like, this is not going to have anything. And then there's this thing that says something or other coffee company. And I was like, whoa, proved me wrong. I mean, it was this beautiful corner building right as we were heading out of town. And so we pull over and we go in and it's not a coffee shop. Um, and the and we can tell as soon as we like get all the way in and look around. And there's a woman talking to a man and the woman turns to us and she goes, y'all thought it was a coffee shop and we were like yes she's like this happens all the time that's all right I'll make you a cup of coffee so she goes back to, and we're like oh you don't have to do that and she's like it's no trouble you know you know where are y'all coming from blah blah, blah. And she goes back to make the cup of coffee and my first thought in this was like oh like that's such a humanistic thing to do like she saw two weary travelers who needed coffee and she's gonna give us coffee um like what a great human just being a human. 
And, um, and she was, she came back out, she talked to, they were just a coffee, they're coffee roasters. So they roast the coffee okay. and then they like bag it or put it or like grind it up and put it in those little capsules that can go into the machines. Mm-hmm. So she was like filling a capsule order of like many capsules to send out to the West coast. It's like a bespoke um, coffee, uh, fact manufacturing. Right. Area. And it had like one really big roaster and it smelled really nice in wow, there. Yes. And we talked with her and Robert's really interested in coffee and has kind of been part of the the processing of that as well. And then we've got her coffee in hand and she's, it's like the goodbye is in this. It's like, she's not trying to keep us, but in her farewell to us, she says, um, you know, I just want to say, God bless you on your journey. And I hope that you found Jesus. And if you know, that you know that, that Jesus is the only way to find God and through, through him the ever after and that sort of thing. And it was just a like quick little nugget. It wasn't trying, she wasn't trying to keep us and like save us. Yeah, it was um, She was a- just like, I hope you you're saved and you understand that you have to be. And we we're like, take care now. And she's like, blessed be. And we left. And, um, and I just laughed. I was like, oh yeah. Like what I saw is humanism she was, it was a Christian gesture gesture for her. And I was like, oh yeah, that, that's the overlap. Like that's the good side overlap of, of those, yeah, there, of those things. There's a, I mean, there's as much good informing anybody's religious, you know, actions or general actions as there sure. is, you know, a bad, you know, bad side to anything. You, you can use it to fuel either end of the spectrum. Yeah. Very easily. <laughs> very, very easily. But I loved my naivety in that moment, even knowing the South and being from the South, but my naivety in that moment of just being like, you know, thinking, oh, this isn't attached to Christ and any propaganda. Like, yeah. she's just giving us coffee. <laughs> what a nice lady. <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't take away the niceness for me. Oh, you yeah. know, I'm not like, oh, she was just trying to convert me. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's not like she was like stirring the cup, like stirring some creamer <laughs> in with a crucifix. I mean, I'm pretty right, sure that's... Right. That wasn't informing every little moment of her hands gesture. Oh. Right, right. But it's, it was a good reminder that, like, those those things that, like, this person... It, you know, she didn't ask if we were Christian before giving us coffee or yeah. something like that. I mean, that would be absurd, but there are organizations that basically do that, you know? Yeah, and there are people like that, but there are just as many people not like that. Yeah, yeah. So, um... So just um, before we fully leave this uh, this realm for the for the time being, um, I, are there any specific tenets to hu- to humanism, or is it just the general be a good person, just kind of like um, institutionalized version of agnosticism, or is it not quite that far? Or hmm. it's some people take it on as a philosophy of life, and some people take it on as a religion. Um, and I have hangups with the word religion. My my dad has a talk. One of his talks is. I don't think it's quite called I'm very religious, but it's something like that. He says, I'm very religious. And then he kind of defines what that means for him. And then he says, I have a lot of faith. And then he defines that for him and so forth. And these words like spirituality and faith and religion, I have a hard time using because I would have to do a lengthy explanation afterwards. I can't just tell you like, I'm devout. Yes. And then <laughs> and like know what it means for me. But like anyone hearing me say I'm devout is going to be like, Whoa. Yeah, they're going that to means assume. a completely different thing. Yeah. Probably. Um, so, yeah, there's... It's the idea that the um, the belief in the inherent worth in every human being. Um, and then some people go on to say every living creature. Um, and, 
but originally from from what Felix Adler was saying, though he did basically just mean men at the time, the inherent worth in, in every human being okay. is the kind of belief that bonds us together as a religion. Um, and then there are aspects of that, like the bringing out the best in yourself and others, treating others um, with, with dignity and respect, um, treating others as you would like to be treated. I grew up in the Sunday school program, which was very small. Sometimes it was just me and my siblings, um, and learned the golden rule many a time. Um, and then also got to learn about a lot of other different religions when I got a little bit older. Um, but yeah, I guess it, it, at a, at a basic core of it, it's this idea that, um, you could go so far as to say that sort of, what is it, that there's like a phrase now, something like, there aren't bad people, just people who do bad do things. Bad things. Right. It's kind of that idea. Okay. Um, and so it's trying to promote good things. Sort of like a very, um, not, not nearly as structured, not nearly as, because it's so much more modern, not nearly as um, institutionalized. But uh, it seems to be a lot the same way that Buddhism is and was. And in mm. um, the fact that it could be mixed with other religions, it could be taken in and of itself, it could be just kind right. of like take as much as you need to on your own life journey kind of a thing. Yeah. And it also does seem to have a couple things in common with the basic tenets of um, uh, not specifically Wiccanism, but just kind of like um, New Age is kind of like a strange phrase to use. It's kind of like the threefold method of... Um, whatever you do will come back to you three times over. So just kind mm. of like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And you'll find a, a varied degree of people's sort of beliefs of what the connection is between everybody and what that, what that means to them. And, um, within ethical culture, as you'll find variants, I think in most, um, congregations of religious folk, um, like, I, I worked at the Unitarian Church in Bennington when yes. we were in Benning, at Bennington, and um, I was the religious educator. Um, when I did, I did, like, blurt out in the interview, I was like, and I'm atheist. <laughs> like, so there's that. Do you still trust me with your children? Um, but that was one of the very few places I've been where I told I told the whole congregation, you know, that I was raised in ethical culture and like a third of the congregation was like, Oh, we're ethical humanists. I mean, at the coffee hour that day, I learned that so many people had come to one of the societies here in New York and then had like retired to Vermont. And they're like, I've never met, you know, people who not at an ethical culture society. There were like 25 people who all knew what I was talking about. This is amazing. (laughs) My people. Um, but within Unitarian Universalism, you'll also find a wide variant of, you know, agnostics and atheists and people who believe in one God or another or Wiccan folk. Um, and that's, I feel like it is very similar in the, it's just like the, the percentages are different. Yes. Like I would say the majority of ethical humanists and I do think are that, atheists. And I do think that it also will, the mixture will also vary, um, based on where you are in the world. Definitely. Like the Northeast will be different from, you know, the Southwest will be different from, you know, um, a, 
I don't know if there's any ethical humanist societies um, outside of the States. I'm going to assume yes. I think there is still one in... It's like a meetup in England, in London. Okay. There were the building that still says Ethical Culture Society in London um, is now a youth center of some sort, and it's a it's not affiliated with any religion. Okay. Um, it's kind of like an ethical culture club. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there may be... There are similar... There are very similar... Like, humanism... Um, there are different humanism... Like, humanist groups that act very similarly to ethical culture outside of the States. And a lot of that is in Europe, yeah. mostly in Europe. And, you know, splinter groups are just going to happen and yeah, as a rule for anything. Um, all right. So let's just uh, go back to Guatemala for a bit. Yeah, sure. <laughs> now that we've established exactly where your background lies. Um, so I know that with this background, you've had quite a few experiences in some very religious um, countries. You've been to Ireland for one. You've been to and Guatemala for another. Yeah. Have there been others where there's been, you've noticed a very re- uh, religious sort of um, bent to things? I mean, obviously the states are the states, but... Yeah. Well, different parts of the states also. Like, it's been really interesting to see, like... I guess before going to Central America, I had this idea of what Catholicism was. Um, mostly from books I'd read and like the news. Um, and I think it was kind of more of the like Italian. Oh, yes. And once you go to Italy, it's very different actually yeah. being immersed. Yeah. Um, but getting to see how, like, Catholicism looks in my hometown of North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, um, versus how it looks um, in Guatemala or Mexico or New Mexico or Ireland or even England. Or Northern um, Ireland versus like, It's Cork. fascinating yeah. because... So there was, an, there, was a, there was a Catholic church that I rented we rented a space from them when I was a a teen I was in a an all-girls thespian troupe where we put on Shakespeare comedies those were the bylaws we like had to put on Shakespeare comedies and it was every summer um for two weeks and sometimes we would even perform in this like side room at this Catholic church and so I'd been in that building and a couple other Catholic churches in um North Carolina and they're pretty simple they've got um, the ones I'd been to did have, like, some nice stained glass, um, but, like, carpeted floors, and, um, I don't even think it had an actual organ, um, and then going down to Guatemala when I was 17 and seeing, like, how fancy the churches are and how sometimes they don't look fancy outside, but as soon as you get inside, the, you know, sometimes they're just, like, almost cement on the outside, and then you get inside, and there are all of these saints, and everything's so brightly colored, and um, there's some really incredible tile work. And then a lot of them do have saints on the outside, and adornments on the outside, and pillars, and like vines that are like just filigree, just, just yeah, stone. Um, 
Very beautiful. And I went to a Catholic mass for Christmas, a Christmas mass in Guatemala the second time I was down there. And, you know, they're these old buildings that were clearly made at a time before there were microphones. And so you can fill that space without them. But there's so many people who go, especially to a mass, um, a Christmas mass, um, that they're using microphones and you can hardly hear, like, I mean, I wasn't fluent in Spanish at the time, so I couldn't understand much of what was being said, but like the way a microphone reverberates around those old walls is just amazing. (sighs) And then the year, the year after that, I got to go to a Catholic mass in, for Christmas in London, which was in one of the oldest, it was like a 600 year old building we're in which I could hardly even fathom. And, like, the stones were enormous. And I just, I just wanted to, like, touch the stone walls, really. It was like, you're so old. <laughs> Where did you come from? Why are you here? But it's, like, gray, huge. They didn't use any sort of sound system. They clearly didn't need to. Do you remember specifically um, where you were? Just because... Uh... I was in, like, Trafalgar Square area. So okay. Like, it was right there. I don't, um, near I, the museums. I went to Roehampton, and I, uh, I've been to London and South England several mm-hmm. times, but I don't, I don't know the churches over by Trafalgar Square too well. So yeah, I don't know what it was named. I could probably point it out on a map. But um, um, but just the difference in um, in how Catholicism has like kind of blended in to its surroundings to like get the most people to be a part of it I mean is how I can how I see it um that it's not because it's correct is why everyone's joined in um but rather because it's coerce coercing them um (laughs) or their relative their you know their ancestors it might seem like it's not coercion now but it was very difficult my first time down in Guatemala I went on a little tour a bicycle tour and that ended up going into this church that was bright yellow, um, and had all of these different buildings outside, too, that had saints in them, or one of them had Mashimon, which is, like, a Guatemalan saint. It's, like, not even really... Oh, is that the, um, the feminine skeleton? Oh, wait, no, no, I'm I'm thinking about a different... That sounds cool, though. No, this is, like, a guy who you give, like, shots of liquor to, and cigars, and weed... Yes. And cigarettes. Oh, as, as I, like, hit the table. Um, right next even, to the microphone. Right next to the microphone. All right, I'll, I'll edit that or something. I don't know. Um, yes. Oh, it's ringing a bell. Yeah. If so only I had my library in front of me. He's sometimes called San Simon, Sounds- or sometimes they're two different people. It depends on who you talk to, whether they're one entity or two, yeah. or whether one of them's real or the other one isn't. Fascinating stuff. But we go into this church, and... The church is named after a Spaniard who's, who was sainted, who came there, and, like, his portrait, his enormous portrait is um, on the wall. And the guide was just praising and praising him. And I wrote down his name, and I looked him up and just read a bunch of different things, some things that praised him and praised him, and some things that were like, he kind of raped and pillaged. And, um, and I was also aware, I was becoming aware the first time I was there as I was learning more of the language 
was becoming aware of the prejudice and the system in place that was basically just against Mayans and people of the Mayan faith. Um, and how people would say, you know, I'm Guatemalan and they're Mayan. And how it seems absurd to me in the States when people are like, I'm white, they're black. But like the difference between Mayan and Guatemalan is so minimal in how you look. And there's like no way, like I, I don't believe that any, anyone actually paying attention to what they look like in the mirror who is Guatemalan and not Mayan could tell me that their ancestry isn't Mayan. You know, like it's very clear in the bone structure, in everything that like their ancestry is partially Mayan. And there's just this idea that one is somehow better than the other. And that it was really discouraging for me at 17 to be seeing, to witness that racism. You know, I don't know, the hope of unity is just lost. Oh, that's got to be incredibly, incredibly heartbreaking, especially firsthand. And actually, that, that does bring up another point. You had, in fact, come across in your travels one of the few, if not only, uh, Mayan faith, uh, would it be a, a temple, would it be a church, would it be a, just a cultural center? There there are actually, there are a couple funny things. In Guatemala, in a town called Chichi Castanengo, there's a church that's a Catholic church and a Mayan church. Oh, so it's They, both. like, take turns. Okay. So, like, sometimes there's a ceremony outside on the, the big grand steps, and there's, like, maybe masses happening inside. And a Mayan ceremony is happening outside on the steps. And, like, they're, they've killed a goat. And, like, everyone's got sage burning. And, but then you see the things that are similar to how, like, the things that cross over and then the things that don't. And then there's also a, a Catholic church outside of um, San Cristobal de las Casas in Chiapas, Mexico, that really, um, it's really just the facade of a Catholic church. But it's been that way Forever. since it was created. I and mean, to the is. degree that some of the like some of the saints, you can like pick them up, turn them like if you could pick them up and turn them around, they have like other faces on the backs of them. That's um, amazing. I love that. And I went there also once for a Mayan ceremony. I did not drink the chicken blood, but it was offered to me, okay. which I felt honored. That's very nice. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Um, but. Uh, Ceremony, ceremony is something that has always kind of confused me. It's something that my particular ethical culture society growing up in North Carolina, the ethical culture society there didn't have a lot of ceremony. And it's not something I've felt like is lacking in my life, and it's not something I look for. And it is something that when I see, I'm like, why are we all doing the same thing at the same time? It's like, why do we do this? <laughs> I don't know. What's the wine and the crackers? <laughs> I mean, I like wine and crackers. Don't get me wrong. It's a... Um... You know, ritual cannibalism. Yes. I'm doing a lecture on that later. <laughs> nice. Right. Um, but yeah, I was working for an organization that was like an after-school program. Mm -hmm. And it was the only one that I could find that would let you be of the Mayan faith. And they would help you. Okay. So um, they would accept people of any faith. Mm -hmm. um, and that that is... I think still to this day in Guatemala, it's the only organization of 
of that kind. Like it has a literacy program for grownups and um, some like trade trade classes as well. And then it has a school and an after school program and a child care center, um, and a bunch of great stuff they're doing, arts programming, things like this. Um, but they're the only ones in Guatemala that you could say at the door, I don't believe in the Christian God, and you could still get their help. And so it's not that I don't think that other organizations are helping people who are of the Mayan faith. I think they're just having to, to, to save face and pretend to be this is just the one like that's uh, Christian. Op- this is the one that's openly doing it then. Yeah. And um which I think is extremely of merit. Um just the the non the non discouragement, especially when it comes to, to children and families. Mm-hmm. Um, just to let people grow up with their culture. It was also funny, there were a lot of um there was one day a lot of us this was when I was my second time down there, I was nineteen, and we were waiting to have some meeting with the woman who was the, the um, she was in charge at the time of the organization. And it was all of the volunteers, the program was done for the day. We're all just sitting in the hallway. And we got to talking, why did you choose Safe Passage, Camino Seguro, over other organizations? And a couple of people talked about, you know, oh, they knew someone who had done it or something, something, something. And I said, well, I was really inspired by the woman who founded it. Um, I got to see her speak when I was 14. And I was blown away. But when I looked into deciding, I knew I wanted to speak Spanish. I wanted to learn Spanish. So I wanted to go somewhere that was Spanish speaking. But I looked into a bunch of different organizations. And it was the only organization that I could find that wasn't affiliated with religion. And all of the German volunteers were like, us too. This is why we are here. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is great. I wasn't the only person that came also based on that. Of like, okay, I won't be indoctrinating children into a belief system that I don't believe in um, in order to help them out. I can help them out. And um, all of the teachers in the school are Guatemalans. So there is a lot of um, religion spoken about. But if you grow up through through the program there, you'll have, you know, one year you'll have a teacher who's evangelical and one year you'll have a teacher who's Catholic and it's not like the whole program is all one or the other or something else. Um, so I think that in a way they get a diverse outlook and then they're also, you know, working with volunteers who are maybe godless, godless volunteers. We exist. Yeah, no. Need representation too. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, let's see. I did also actually want to touch upon if you'd like to, um, just because it is such a part of uh, shamanistic work, which I do do a lot of interviews on, mm-hmm. you'd had uh, some experience with DMT. And you actually yeah. had, I think, a very cool experience. Um, it wasn't a religious one. Right. But um, if you want to share it, if not, sure. we can, if not, I can edit that whole comment I just made out. <laughs> no, no, that I'm, I'm open to that. Yeah, I was down in Chiapas, in San Cristobal de las Casas, and I was staying at, um, sometimes, sometimes I got it right. When I was living, like, hostel to hostel, sometimes I found the hostels that I really vibed well with. And sometimes I could only find party hostels, and that's okay, too. Um, I had found a hostel that, uh, was called, what was it called? 
Rukache. It was called Rukache. And actually, one of the times I was staying down there, their sign got stolen. Um, so there's not even a sign there anymore. I mean, I came back like three months later and there was still no sign. Oh, so yeah. if you didn't know where you were going or that it had no sign, you weren't going to find this hostel, amazingly enough. But I had found this hostel and um, it was all, um, I was the only English speaker. Um, or native English speaker, I should say. Some of the other people there spoke some English, but not fluently. Um, so it was really great in that way to practice my Spanish with um, people from Spain, Italy, and Mexico, and some people from El Salvador. And I thought it was a joke when one of the guys, I mean, they'd been very generous with their weed, and um, sometimes at night we'd play card games and like just get bottles of beer and stay in and get like the big, like they're like bigger than 40s. They're not growlers though. They're just like, maybe they are just 40s. I guess we got 40s and we'd share them. And um, one evening I was going out dancing and one of the guys like, just just give me give me um, 50 pesos for, for DMT and you can join us with the DMT if you want to join us with the DMT. And I was like, DMT, 50 pesos? 50 pesos is like $5. I'm like, how much does that get me will that actually will that do the thing and they're like oh there's gonna be so much like if we all go in and we just get 50 pesos each like I've got the hookup but it's like and we need the 50 pesos now so I was like okay and, and I thought it, I mean I I really thought it was a joke I thought they were gonna get more beers or something but I was in <laughs> and I gave them 50 pesos and I left and um the next day uh, it didn't come up, but then the day after that it was rainy, so we were all just hanging out in the hostel. It was like there was a part of the the roof of the hostel was just corrugated plastic, and the rain just hitting against it was really soothing. And the guys were like, "Let's do it! Like it's time!" And I was like, "What? Really? <laughs> time for They're what? <laughs> like, time for DMT!" And so we take all the mattresses and bedding, and everyone gets their sleeping bags, and we make. We like push the table aside in the common room and we just make this big fort out of like put mattresses up so that there's like they're like, like a, a triangle yeah like and you peak. can like crawl through or like lie in there uh-huh. and um this guy had been painting a mural on the wall that was really like it kind of was the idea of of a mandala of some sort but it was really not very even and it was very chaotic um, but let me tell you, <laughs> when I was on DMT, <laughs> that was the most put together, beautiful, perfect thing I may have ever seen. And it was like moving in its perfection. But basically they explained to us that we need to be sitting down, um, or lying down because otherwise could basically you just forget that your body's there. Um, and if you really kind of relax into it you'll have a deeper experience than if you, like, try to stay aware and, like, sitting up. Um, There were several really interesting things that happened. Um, I I didn't have any sort of expectation because I'd had very few people explain anything about DMT. I knew, really, I think I knew about DMT because um, there's a movie Waking Life. Oh, okay. Um, That's where I, like, first learned about it years ago, and then I hadn't really looked into it much since then, and I'd heard people reference it, but no one had been like, this is what DMT is like. Mm -hmm. Um, But I felt like I was in a safe environment, and they knew how much to do, and 
they some of them had done it before and some of them hadn't and um it tasted very chemically which mm. I wasn't expecting I don't know why I wasn't expecting it to taste like a chemical but like smoking a chemical is gross like it was a gross experience in that regard um but the whole um I don't know, it feels like an opening of your heart. You just kind of like fall backwards and you don't know when you've stopped falling or falling or if you've stopped falling. And um, I had my eyes closed for a while and saw a lot of things in, in nothingness. And then opening my eyes, the world was still um, doing, doing these visuals. Um, it was really beautiful. And me and this, this guy, Joel, we discovered that, I mean, it looked to both of us in the moment, it looked like all of the lines on our hands were the exact same as each other's. We, like, tried someone else's hand, and it wasn't. But he and I had, like, it wasn't that the shapes of our hands were the same, but our, our these clear lines, the, like, big lines on your palm, those were clearly the same, but, like, we were looking at all the tiny little ones, and it looked like we had the same lines on our hands that's actually pretty cool we're like so hand just... twins and we were just like tripping out on that for <laughs> quite some time being like you have this one you have this one whoa it's amazing <laughs> and we were also trying to come up with a reason but he was left-handed i'm right-handed he's like 34 i was 26 it's like Got we nothing. couldn't we couldn't yeah. find the logic but it was true it was real that's awesome um, and then I got to do it again a couple nights later because um, they had more that I don't, I really don't know how that stuff is that cheap down there or where to get it on my own. But it was really a very positive experience. Um, and some of those guys I'm still connected with on Facebook. They were musicians. We were playing, sometimes busking together or played a couple of shows together. And it was really fun because they're like jazz musicians and I got to sing jazz, which I don't ever really do um, because I can't accompany myself in any sort of jazzy manner. I'm trying to remember. I know I know the phytochemistry of a couple naturally occurring hallucinogens, but I don't think I know a whole lot about DMT and how it would neurochemically affect someone. But I'd imagine it would do similar things to others, whereas it would just kind of uh, prevent the brain... Um, from uh, the brain, kind of like the way its um, signals work is that it's either it's either like sending on signals or sending off signals, kind mm-hmm. of like like yes, we're doing this reaction or no, we're not doing this reaction. And so, most hallucinogens, the way that they work is they stop the chemical GABA, which um, is the off uh-huh. signal. So it's just kind of like lots of on signals. So you kind of filter and fall away. You can't really not experience what's happening around you. Kind of just right have to sit there and take in all the stimuli. Yeah. You're not allowed to not deal with all the right. sensations. You kind of ha- right. have to process everything, which numbs a lot of people because the ability to make judgments and um, focus on just one thing or judge anything, really, right. is right. Um, that's done by uh, having the brain pick kind of one path and shut down the others. And when you're not able to shut down the others, you kind of just have to, without judgment, assess all of them at once. 
Right. So that's kind of what a lot of uh, tripping is. But I couldn't tell you if specifically DMT does that as well. I would guess I that know. it does. I know that some people are are um, wary of DMT or trying it or doing it, even if they've done like well, I know there's acid a- and so yeah. forth, because it's something that naturally occurs in your body twice. Yes. When you're born and when you die. And so... Well, there's different kinds of DMT. And, right. Um, and I don't... I, do you know, like, if it was DMT, like, whatever number it was? I or, don't know. Yeah. No. And, um, well, I do know there's also plenty that occur naturally through um, plants uh-huh. as well. Um, and I think it's become discovered that it happens at other points in your life, or it can happen at other points in your life as well. Yes. Um, I've heard that. Released in your system. I'm not up and up on the, um, on the recent developments of that. But, uh, yes, I'd, ha- I'd heard that. But definitely when I'd come across people saying that before in my life, it felt like something, this ties back to religion, it felt like something that was like, I'm not going to do that because that happens naturally in my body twice and that's how it's supposed to be. This kind of idea of, like, it's supposed to be, like, because God made me that way. Yeah. Like, there was a little bit of that that I'd felt when I'd heard people talk about that. So um, I didn't feel conflicted about inflicting my body into premature DMT experiences. And then there's also the, um, the idea where a lot of, uh, there's a lot of shamanistic traditions where people would take um, either medicines or, um, or, or like just smoke a lot of, pardon me, a lot of tobacco rapidly or, or get some sort of high uh-huh. um, alongside whomever they were going to treat or whomever they were, like, talking with or mm. reading the future of or whatever they were going to do to kind of get in the same headspace as them or to tap into something else. Right. And so a lot of modern um, modern sects, modern practitioners, new more New Age groups, again, using that phrase that I like, is kind of nebulous and I don't really have a way to pin down. But yeah, new age, more new, new age... age New age shamans, shamans, workers, um, will a lot of times use DMT because it's got that natural background um, where it does naturally occur. Right. Um, although then there's others who are who will specifically stay away from that kind of DMT. I think it's DMT-19, which uh-huh. is the one that occurs in humans, but they'll take other DMTs. Okay. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, yes, I, I, no I, can, I can see the ethics behind that, of course, but... Right. Um, but yeah, so there's a whole lot of reasons behind why someone would use drugs in a, in a ritualistic or a religious sense as opposed to, um, as opposed to staying away from them. Right. Well, also how they've, they've, they've been used a lot of the, well, I mean, now at this point we have drugs that were used in like government experiments and like yes. so forth as well, but like... Mm-hmm. Most natural drugs were used through ceremony at some point previously to being used at raves. Yes. <laughs> yes, a lot of them had a... And the, even, I mean, tobacco. Have you ever read the um, cartoon history of the universe? I have not. No? No, I have not. Oh, it's so good. I feel like only my family knows about the cartoon history of the <laughs> I'm universe. I'm sure others do, but... Uh, but anyhow... They have, they're like three volumes of the original one, I think, mm-hmm. maybe just two. And then now he's done some spinoffs and some others. And so I was, one that has stuck out with me um, over time is the cartoon history of 
it's either of the U.S. or of the New World, one of those. And um, there's like a little bit, basically Virginia was being, was had a fort and there was no good reason for there to be a fort there. They were discovering that they were running out of resources and they didn't have gold and they didn't have, like they didn't have anything. And so some other settlers up and down the coast were like, come up here or go down there, like stop being there. But the guy who was in charge of the fort there was like, no, I'm in charge. Like I want to be I want to continue to basically be king. <laughs> like we're going to figure something out. And there's a panel where um, a local tribe has invited him um, to to share in a in a, a pipe of tobacco, and he's like, "Say this stuff's amazing." And then um, he, he's they show him how they're growing it and a traditional way of growing it in that area and in North Carolina as well was in natural occurring clearings. Um, and in, uh, kind of on these round mounds, there'd be a couple of plants on each mound of dirt. And, um, so they show him this and, you know, they pipe, they smoke from the pipe and he goes back and he's like, okay, I know, I know what we're going to do. I know they're going to love this over in England. We're going to export this. We're going to be fine. And so they clear cut and they plant tobacco in rows and rows and rows. And there's just these these two women from the tribe peeking through the trees into this, like, clear-cut, vast field of tobacco. And one of them just is saying, so they're really religious now? (laughs) (laughs) And just how, like, everything... I mean, it just brought up to me that, like, everything was lost in translation. It wasn't just the language. It was every movement and every action and every, like way of planting something yeah was like meant a different thing because uh they 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 just planted the tobacco they didn't plant the other plants alongside them right yes and they cut the trees to do so yes which changed how the soil was balanced and how it how the runoff actually uh occurred and then what the rivers would do in the area and yeah chesapeake bay problem yep (laughs) Uh, insert groundwater joke here. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, no. Ecology. (laughs) But, um, yes, and actually that, um, specifically with with natural drugs, um, one thing that I'm actually in the midst of writing a, a paper about, one thing that, in terms of homeopathic drugs as opposed to, um, like synthetically produced drugs uh-huh. is that like I'm constantly coming across is side effects. Yeah. Side effects come frequently when you're dealing with a isolated chemical or an isolated part, which yes, yeah. that is that isolated part, especially in high doses will quickly knock out the problem. Mm-hmm. But that isolated chemical, that isolated part naturally occurs with, other chemicals and other parts right. right normally in a plant and that's going to often mitigate any side effects that will happen if you just take the chemical by itself especially a synthetic one and that you're going to take in high doses uh-huh so huh it's it's amazing how like th- there is there's quite a lot of research that's been done on this and I'm just in the process of sort of collecting a small library of all that together and just making a, 
almost like a layman's terms research paper. Interesting. Because it's just, it's fantastic about how almost black and white the correlation is. And yes, a lot of homeopathic medicine is, some has more scientific basis than others, but there is quite a lot where it's like, oh yes, this drug is a synthetic isolation of this chemical, which comes from this plant, and all of the side effects would be treated with these other chemicals, which are also synthetic isolations of chemicals from the same plant as the original drug, which caused all the side effects. Did I ever tell you about the magic tree? (laughs) Oh, I think you might have... Quite a bit back, but let's say it for the audience. (laughs) (laughs) So a friend of mine was living in a place that was about to get torn down and become a um, hotel in Antigua, Guatemala. And I'd been over there for brunch. A couple of people I knew lived in that complex and were slowly having to move out because it was... But um, Bill was going to stay for the... Until they, like, kicked him out. And... um, he had explained to me one one drunken New Year's at like 3 a.m. My friend Bertie and I ran into Bill and his friend Tom in um, Cafe Nose in Antigua. And um, all in good fun, they were hitting on us. And um, we were just joking around. And, uh, you know, we said, no, we're, we're not going home with you guys. But uh, thanks for the invite. And Tom said, Bill, you didn't tell them about the magic tree. And it took a while to get the story out of him, but we were like, we have to hear about this magic tree. So some a friend of his, who was Mayan, had come over at one point and had said, you know, Bill, you have this, this magic tree. And Bill had said, tell me more. And the guy had said that it's a tree that people have used parts of the tree to as a hallucinogen and to have these journeys and um but the traditional way of doing this was to to wait for the day when the bees go crazy around the tree and then to sleep under the tree all night long and then it'll start affecting your dreams and then when you wake up you'll kind of be in a in a waking dream kind of state and um and apparently like clarity is supposed to come to to your path and where you should what you should be doing um and so he was like, well, you know, apparently there's this tree. It was probably about, it was like almost a year later. And it was down to the, it was like the night before they were going to actually like clear, clear everything out of this space and make a hotel that I run into, I run into Bill. He's at the same bar as me and he gets me a drink. And then we go to another place on the, on the way back. We were living in the same area of town. And so he's walking me back to my house, and he goes, you know, I, I feel like I should mention that um, today the, the bees did go crazy all around that tree. And um, I was like, Bill, are you, are you asking me back to your place? <laughs> and Bill's in his 60s. Um, and he was like, well, I, you know, I just had to mention it because tomorrow they're making me move out. And I was like, well, the poetry, the poetry, Bill. Now I have to go back to your place. So we go to his place, and his bed is upstairs. We take his bed outside and put it underneath the tree. And we sleep under the tree. And I wake up at one point in the night because I've had this dream that the tree told me what part of it I can eat. 
And, I mean, it didn't have, like, a mouth, and it wasn't, like, blah, blah, blah. But it became entirely clear to me beyond the reason, like, beyond any doubt that I could eat this certain part of the tree. So I go picking this little bit off the flowers that I can eat. And I'm eating, I mean, I'm eating them. Picking them, these flowers, I'm eating them. I don't know the name of this tree. I don't, I don't know anything about this tree. I just know that it's, some Mayan man said it was magic and that the bees went crazy and Bill had invited me home. So I'm eating them. Bill wakes up and he goes, what are you doing? And I explained to him this dream I've had. And he kept saying, you're insane. <laughs> but as if it was like a compliment, like the most beautiful compliment. <laughs> like you're, you're, ins- you're truly insane. And I was just like picking all these and I was eating them and it was great. It was a really, really wonderful trip. Um, I went back to sleep. I did sleep, but then in the morning I woke up and it was, everything was glowy and wonderful. And, um, I then learned, I don't remember the name of the tree. I meant to look this up. I then learned that the flowers can kill you. I mean, there's like a tea that is often extracted from a certain part of the flowers. And I haven't looked into what that part is. It might be the part that I unabashedly ate lots of. Yes. And I've eaten it since also. Um, because you can, haven't died yet. Um, and it was this funny place with, like, I got in a funny headspace about it because growing up, um, I had known a couple of, uh, I grew up in a community where there were a lot of storytellers and one of them was a man named Bruce who was Native American and, um, would tell these Native American stories, some stories of his own childhood and being and like the way he he grew up and some like ancient like mystery sort of um myths and so forth um and one of these stories he several stories he said he told involved um involved the idea that people could go out and sleep next to plants and gain the knowledge of how those plants could be used and then use them. And as a kid, I was always like, as if. And then there I was, grown-ass woman in a courtyard in Guatemala, being like, the tree has told me. To eat these flowers, <laughs> which are apparently very, very highly toxic. <laughs> which could kill me. <laughs> but luckily the tree told me the right part to eat. So. Excellent. I'm so to start licking the, it's the like, bark or something. It's this part of the... Um, of the flower and it really pops off perfectly like once you if you take a flower and you pop off the the bits of the end of each petal it doesn't look like they've been broken oh it like looks like it's just complete just the way it is interesting so it's almost like a little like a little berry thing almost no it's just like an extra it's like a little extension on the end of each petal Hmm. that can just pop off perfectly Excellent. It's kind of like a really long shark's tooth, the I'm, shape that it that the popped off bit is. I'm definitely gonna have to have you like sketch some of that out. I'll take I'll, a, I'll, I'll take a look <laughs> at. Uh, I'm sh- I'm sure like among my various textbooks, I've got um, some sort of. I found them in the courtyard at uh, um, Frida Kahlo's house in Mexico City. Oh, excellent. In well, we definitely need to do some investigation on this. I'm I'm insanely curious, and if we come up with anything, listeners, we will. I will definitely <laughs> post some. Uh, Information in the description to this uh, to this podcast. Don't die. <laughs> at, at don't don't try that at home. You you probably don't have, unless a tree told you to specifically. You right, might not right. have the same sort of luck. 
Uh, I have a feeling that you get a specific sort of a, a blessing in the matter. Otherwise, you might be dead. Yes. <laughs> in some way or another, it was fine. Yes, it worked out. <laughs> uh, but uh, the tea, in any event, I'd be interested to, to figure out how to do to figure out about that. Yeah. Um, but yes, so I know that we'd covered all the bases I was intending to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you wanted to specifically impart or um, another story you wanted to get out there? I don't know. I, I really would suggest, um, I'm going to, I'm going to be evangelical for a moment. Go right ahead. Um, get on that soapbox. I'm going to suggest, uh, that, that if you are agnostic or, um, an atheist, um, or even if you believe in some sort of God or another, checking out if you live in, especially if you live in, um, D.C., Boston, Chicago, the Triangle area, um, Asheville, or um, New York City, checking out an ethical culture society. Um, They have a lot of interesting programs, a lot of interesting talks, um, and each, uh, some of them have different speakers who come, and some of them have, um, the leaders often often do a lot of the the speeches. Um, It's kind of like, a lecture series and a community all rolled into one and coffee hours are fun. Um, and I am going to, yeah, I'm going to push that and say, try it out. <laughs> try ethical culture. Take a risk on it. Uh, very cool. And if anybody wanted to reach out to you, would you want them to? How could they? Uh, do you want to? Sure. Is there a way that they could find your music, which I know is actually very fun? I've, I've seen you on Bandcamp. Yes, but, I am um, on Bandcamp. Um, Alicia Best, and the um, the CD is called Toy Horses. I'm also on Facebook as Coffee Creek, um, and also Instagram, Coffee Creek Music. Um, and Facebook is actually Alicia Best is up Coffee Creek, and that will find me. Um, and then if you would like to email me, you could email me at sevenindream at gmail.com. Very cool. And let me just do a little housekeeping here. Yep. So you can find us on Facebook at Drinks with God, and you can find us on Twitter at Drinks W God. And please subscribe to our Podbean page, which you might be hearing this off of, or you might be hearing this off of iTunes, where we are also, in fact, able to be found at Drinks with God. Either. Search for that on Podbean or search for that on iTunes. And you should definitely buy some t-shirts from us. We're over on Redbubble for that. They say things like Manic Pixie Dream Nilist and Ask Me About My Death Anxiety. And uh, we also, you can also, uh, yeah. (laughs) Those are great. (laughs) And uh, they also have one that says uh, Ask Me About My Fucking Amazing Zen-like Calm. And you could get that uh, Angel Wing shot now also, like as a sticker. But uh, that's over at redbubble.com slash people slash drinks with God. And if you have an alternative theological experience, or even if you can provide an in-depth viewpoint of mainstream religion, email me at drinkingwithgod at gmail.com. Again, that is drinkingwithgod at gmail.com. And thank you, and stay weird out there.
Lord of the Rings.